Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Good morning. Who is excited for church today? Come on. We have not met. My name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this place called Bold five years ago with a dream. If you're new here, let me tell you, we wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith. Man, we are passionate about the worshiping God. Amen. You love this worship this morning. Can we have for the worship team? We want to create a place where not only Christians can come, but unchurched people can come explore their faith. And today's a big day. It's Mother's Day. And if you see in the outside, outside when you walk out right after service, there'll be a parfait bar. And I uh, want to encourage you gentlemen, please let the ladies go first. <laughs> we might have to call you out and put, put, put your picture on IG or something, but... Uh, a few announcements. Today after Growth Track, once a month, we have a class called Growth Track. Who has gone to Growth Track here? Come on. Listen, it's your first step in this community. How do you join a group? How do you serve? How do you get connected? How do you make friends? This is the class. And today, right after church, there's a meal. Don't worry. Your mom won't miss you for like more than 30 minutes. Come. We'll share the vision of this house. We'll share the why of our house. And honestly, the best part of that class is you discover your why. We help you discover your spiritual gifts because that's when life becomes fun, when the day that you're born and the day you discover your why. We want to help you discover your why. And uh, a few more announcements. On the 4th of June, we got four baptisms. Come on. Many of you don't know that there is a miracle happening in this church. We, we, we had 28 people receive Christ for the very first time this last month. It is unreal. Unreal. We had four baptisms last month. We have four coming up. And who knows where God's going to take us. And then on the Wednesday, June 7th, it's team night. Listen, this is an exclusive night for those who have gone to growth track. Ooh, creating some FOMO. Uh, it's a night where we, 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 we want to celebrate the team. We want to pour into the team. It's a night where we take communion. We prophesy over people. You don't want to miss it. But if you want to be in the room, you got to go to growth track. Today after church. Uh, we are in a collection of talks called Beauty and the Beast. And for those of you that are coming for the first time, this is Pablo. Say hi, Pablo. And this is Paula. Next year, she's, they're going to have a little kid. We're going to call him Petey Pablo down here. And we are in a collection of talks all about relationships. And I've been, I put this day on a calendar probably six weeks ago. I've been praying because today is going to feel like heart surgery today. It's going to be a different kind of sermon. I'm going to teach a lot today. I'm going to come I'm going to go into the the pains of your relationship. I want to reveal the why of your brokenness. And it's not going to be a normal sermon, especially on Mother's Day. Trust me. But it's going to help you. You guys ready for today's word? Uh, Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man in Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. Someone say Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malion and Chilion. They were, I can't even say this word, Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. 
They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, not to confuse with Oprah, okay? And the name of the other was Ruth. Someone say Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Both Malon and Chilion died. So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she rose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. She set out from the place where, they, where she was with her two daughters-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. She's encouraging them to go get married again. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And she said, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Yet if I have sons in my womb that you may become your husbands, turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I should have, say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter. Someone say bitter. For me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said, peace out. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your daughter-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. I'm going to preach a story about these three women, but I want to highlight around this verse. This is Hebrews chapter 12. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I find that choice of words so interesting. God has grace for you this morning. But some of you are missing it. He wants to give you this gift, but you're preventing him from giving it to you. That no root of bitterness, someone say root of bitterness, springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I want to preach to you a sermon. Maybe you've heard this language before. My achy, breaky heart. My Don't tell my heart. Come on. Just, Come on, that's good right there. I, I'm not white, so I don't know country music. If Tupac sang this song, I, I, would, I would totally be down. But I'm just messing, man. Let me pray. I'm going to pray. We'll jump right in. Let me just pray real quick. God, thank you so much, Lord, for this, for this, this church, this, this faith community, God, what you are doing. God, on Mother's Day, on all the days, God, we are hearing a sermon about bitterness. God, show us what this is all about, God. God, there, there are three, these three women, Lord, and each of them respond very differently. We got Orpah, we got Naomi, we got Ruth, God, but the good news is, God, you have a solution. You have hope for us this morning. You want to give us grace. God, we need grace this morning. God, maybe we walk in one way, but we walk out another. If you believe that everyone said, everybody said, Amen. First in Hebrews has transformed my life. I remember when I first came to Christianity, I had a lot of bitterness towards my father, towards an ex, and 
it was holding me back from the things that God wanted to do in my life. And uh, sometimes we, we believe the lie in Disney movies, right? We just, we, all of our focus is on the wedding day. In every Disney movie, all the trouble, all the heartache is just getting to the, the wedding day. And then they say, I do, and then it's happily ever after. And Disney movies and rom-coms, they celebrate the wedding day. They don't celebrate the marriage. And often we think, as soon as I say, I'm, I do, it's happily ever after. And I, I've been pastoring for a decade now, married for nine years. It's usually married and bitter. <laughs> Single and bitter. Single again and bitter. And most people who are bitter, they don't even see it on themselves. And Hebrews is talking about how this is the thing that's going to prevent you from receiving the grace of God. And before there's a root of bitterness, I wrote down like this, before you get a root of bitterness, there must be a seed of bitterness. There's that small seed that grows and develops. And that small seed is what I call offense. Someone say offense. It's 2023. Everyone's offended at everyone. I'm offended the way you dress, the way you vote, the way you look. I'm offended that you're offended at me. <laughs> right? It's just, we're offended. And if you don't deal with the offense in a godly way, it's going to develop this, this seed, will develop into a root, and it will hold you back from getting the things that God wants from you. And what's so sad about bitterness is no one sees it on themselves. We all have that one bitter friend that we all, every time you hang around them, they suck the energy out of you. They drain you. And listen, if you can't think of that person, you're that person. <laughs> it's true. I wrote down like this, bitter people are like clouds. When they disappear, everything's beautiful. Because when they're gone, you can <gasps> breathe again. And bitter people don't realize that God wants to do something in your life, but you're blocking him. And that's what happens in the story of, of Ruth, this, the story of these three women. We have Naomi and Elimelech, this married couple. They get married, and they, they're in Bethlehem. Someone say Bethlehem. Bethlehem is literally named the house of God. Think how prophetic that is. There's a famine in Bethlehem. There's no bread in the house of bread. Crazy. And then they leave, not to another Jewish city, to a pagan enemy city. And they develop a home there. They start a business there. They, they get married there. And then calamity hits. Destruction hits. And we don't know what happened. We don't know why. But all three patriarchs in this family are gone and dead. And we're left with the three amigas. The three women. They're all widows. And Naomi, in that culture, women are property. Women can't go to work. Women can't go to school. Women can't own anything. This is a life and death sentence. So she goes, I got to go back. Maybe I can live on my relative's couch. Maybe I can go home and, and sleep with someone. I'm going to uh, be homeless here. And on the way back, she's telling her sister-in-laws not to come. And what I want to point out to you is all three women in this story experience bitterness. But the way that they respond is very different. Opa, Op Orpa, not to confuse with Oprah, she experienced heartache. And as soon as she hears Naomi say, go back, she's like, peace out, God. And she walks away. I can't tell you how many people in the last 10 years of pastoring I've seen experience heartache and pain. And the moment things don't go their way, the moment their friends get married and they don't, the moment they have a miscarriage, they walk away from God and they never look back. Then there's Naomi. She experienced heartache and pain, but she becomes bitter. Then there's the story of Ruth. 
Ruth is an amazing woman of God. This is one of the best stories in the Old Testament. It's the seventh book of your Bible. It's one of the shortest books. It's four chapters long. And in my opinion, it's the best love story in the Old Testament. Ruth goes through pain. Ruth goes through hardship. But she gives her pain to God. And so many times we don't realize this, but Naomi and, and her husband, Elimelech, they had no business going to enemy territory. And on top of that, they had no business marrying their sons to non-Christian women. I wrote down like this, better to be hungry in the will of God than full outside of it. Some of you need to hear that today. Just because pain comes, just because suffering comes, doesn't mean you walk away from God. It's better to be in his will and experience a little bit of pain than try to avoid the discomfort and disobey him. Calamity comes and Naomi is walking back to Jerusalem, walking back to, the, to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And she turns around and tells her sister-in-law, don't come with me. Don't come with me. And Orpah pieces out and Ruth says, I'm coming with you. Where you go, I go. Where you die, I die. And she clings to her mother-in-law. The question is, why does Naomi push her sister-in-laws away? What is she doing? Why is she saying this? Is it because her heart is so full of love? Is it coming from a, a loving place or is it more nefarious is she saying this because she wants to shed the evidence of where she's been the last 10 years see i, I see this as a, all the time as a pastor people are experiencing god life transformation and then something sucks them back into their old lifestyle and they're gone for a season and then they come back to church and everyone's like where were you i don't know i was just out on vacation for a year yeah long time and they don't want to talk about where they were because they're embarrassed. And that's what's going on with Naomi. She's embarrassed. Watch what happens in this exchange. Ruth said, do not urge me. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, Naomi, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also of anything but death departs me from you. This is Nao. This is Ruth. This is her salvation moment. She's like, I'm all in with God. I lived with you for 10 years. I saw you worship God. I saw you guys read the Bible. I, this God that you worship, I want him to be my God too. I'm not going back to my old way of life. And Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her. And she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Someone say Bethlehem. They came back to the house of bread. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara. Someone say Mara. Mara means bitter. I, want, I, I need you to underline this word. I'm going to come back to it at the very end of my sermon. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt with me very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? It's crazy because she's just not bitter. This is not like a season. Everyone experiences pain and suffering, and we all have these seasons where we go through pain and suffering, and we become a little bitter. Listen, if Pastor Yaz preached a sermon on the stupid things I said the last 18 months, it'd be hilarious. You're like, that came out of Pastor Alex's mouth? Yes. I say some crazy things when I'm bitter. I wrote down like this, never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. That's what Naomi's doing. She's, not, she's saying she's going beyond bitterness. She's saying bitterness isn't something I experience. It's who I am. It's my identity. I am bitter. It's hilarious to me. Because no one told her to leave Bethlehem. 
No one told her to walk away from God. No one told her to lower her standards. She did. And she should be coming back to the house of God with repentance, with remorse. But she's bitter and she's blaming God. I can speak to all the ladies in this place with style and grace. Come on. No one told you to lower your standards. No one told you to continue in that relationship when everyone saw the red flags and you kept going. No one told you to date him because he was cute. He's hot, Pastor Alex. So is hell. Come on. <laughs> and then when it blows up and it explodes in our face, we get angry with God as if it was him that made us go into that relationship. No, you chose it. Don't get angry with him. Take responsibility. I, I've never in 10 years said, Seeing a woman, they always come to Pastor Alice and I, they go, Pastor Allie, Pastor Alice, help me. Help me find someone. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for tall, dark, and bitter. <laughs> Are we looking for chocolate or a husband? <laughs> no one lists bitterness as a quality they're looking for, and yet often when we become bitter, we don't see it in ourselves. And it prevents us from experiencing the grace of God. There are two reasons this morning where I think we become bitter. And I think God wants to speak to you. And one of these two may apply to you. Or maybe if you're really jacked up, both of them. <laughs> Welcome to church. God's going to heal you this morning. And I want to do some heart surgery. It's, it's not your typical Mother's Day sermon. But I believe God's going to use it to heal you. Because this is the journey that I had to go on. This, this is, I'm preaching this from experience. First way that we become bitter is heartache. Someone say heartache. And when you think heartache, you think, oh, I'm in a relationship. We break up. No, no, no. This is not that heartache. I define it like this. Heartache is this. Heartache is a longing for something you've never gotten. See, what I see all the time is people get into a relationship and they never experience satisfaction, joy, fulfillment, contentment because they're looking for their partner to give them something that they can't give. You're supposed to get that longing from your father. Pastor Ali, it's Mother's Day. I know. I want you to be the best mom and best daughter. And you and all of us in this room, we all have father wounds. We have father wounds. You were created to hear love and affirmation and acceptance and encouragement from your earthly father and from your heavenly father. And when it's not there, it creates a wound, of, a wound of heartache, a wound of bitterness. And when it's, there's an absence, it will bleed into every relationship. This is why some girls, they date losers because they never heard from their father. They're, they have value and worth. Because you want to hear those things from another man when you're supposed to hear it from your father. Read this book. I think every man should write this down. It's by John Tyson. The name of the book is called Intentional Fathers. Changed the way I view raising my kids. And he lists five kinds of dads. And maybe while you're listening to me, you'll identify your father as one of these five. The first one is what I call tragic. Tragic is he just died when you were young. Maybe when you were one years old, your mom and your dad got divorced and you never saw him. It's tragic. He was never there to speak into you. He was never there to say anything. It's not that he didn't say the right things. He wasn't even there to say anything. It's just tragic. The second kind of dad is what I call terrible. It's almost worse than the first one because he is there and you wish he wasn't. Because <laughs> he's abusive. He's verbally abusive, physically abusive, spiritually, unfortunately sometimes, abusive. He, he was mean to your mom and mean to you. He would hit you with his words and with his fists. He's, he's terrible. 
Third dad is what I call tough dads. These dads, you have to work hard to earn their love. You have to perform for them to say, I'm proud of you. If you want to see where these dads are, they're at Little League games yelling at their kids from the sidelines. <laughs> Unfortunately. Third dad, fourth dad, I, what I call tender dads. They're nice. They're kind. But they never correct you. They never discipline you. And a father will discipline his children. Fifth dad is what I call the terrific dad. They are different than the first four in that they're physically, emotionally, and spiritually present and engaged. Let me encourage some of you, because some of you in this room, a very small percentage of you had terrific dads, and the vast majority of us in this room, we had one of those four dads. It doesn't matter who your dad is, all of you will have a father wound. Because your earthly father, he's not perfect. And he's supposed to point you to the one who is. So even if you had the best dad in the world, he's not good enough. And when you come into Christianity, you don't know this. I see this so clearly now after a decade of pastoring. Your earthly father affects your relationship with your heavenly father. I wrote like this. Your view of God is often a projection or rejection of your earthly father. See, in my family, I had the terrible dad. He used to beat me physically, was verbally abusive to my mom, would, would hit me. Hit, he was just awful. And I learned the only way to get him to stop was to perform well in school. And then he would say, I'm proud of you, after I came home with her A's. But it felt so conditional. It felt like I had to earn it. So imagine I become a Christian. Now I'm serving every week, trying to bring my report card to God the Father, saying, am I good enough for you, Dad? Think how crazy it was when he says, you don't need to serve, Allie. I'm like, yes, I do, every week. And my mind was, I was projecting on my heavenly father what my earthly father had given me, that I have to earn his love. And some of you in this room, the reason why it's hard for you to obey, the reason why it's hard for you to follow him is not because God isn't good, but because your earthly father wasn't. What I love about Jesus is that 2,000 years ago, he came into human history and he died for us on a cross. But there's a benefit that we don't realize. I want to show you Malachi chapter 4. This is the last book in the Old Testament. This is the last thing that was written down. And then for 400 years, God said nothing. And he's going to talk about, he says, behold, I will send you Elijah. Someone say Elijah. Elijah is long and gone dead. What is he talking about? He's talking about someone who's going to come who has the spirit of Elijah. Someone's going to talk like him, preach like him. Almost every week, I, I get someone who's new to church like, Pastor Ali, you look like Hassan Minaj. I'm like, I am so offended. He's Indian. Oh, my goodness. I'm Persian. Once you go Persian, there's no better version, okay? There's going to be someone who looks, talks, and preaches like Elijah. Who is that? That's John the Baptist. That's why when he's preaching in the wilderness, they said, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? He's like, no. I'm not worthy to untie the sandals of the one who comes after me. And the, the prophet Elijah, I will send you Elijah the prophet before. Someone say before. He's going to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Some Bible trivia. Who is the last Old Testament prophet? It's John the Baptist. We think because he's a New Testament, he's a, he's a New Testament prophet. He's not because he died before Jesus died on a cross. So he's technically an Old Testament prophet. And this prophet, not Elijah, the real one, John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. And look what Jesus is going to do. 
This is a prophecy of the benefit of what Jesus did on the cross. God, when Jesus comes, he will turn the heart of the fathers to their children and the heart of their children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a curse. I believe we're living in cursed days. More than 50% of American families, children are being raised in a fatherless home. And when he is there, he's either terrible, tough, or tender. And he doesn't point you to the heavenly father that you need. When I was 21, 22 years old, I remember I was getting my computer science degree, getting my minor in math. I was a total nerd, forgive me. (laughs) Forgiven. Thank you, Ethan. Wait till I show pictures of Ethan's first Sunday here. Okay? Let me do that before you get on my case. And there's this movie that I watched called Life is Beautiful. If you've never watched it, I encourage you to go watch it. It's a story of this Jewish family, and they get captured during the Holocaust, and they get put into a concentration camp. The wives on one side of the camp, the fathers on the other, and what's so sad in this story is they kill all the children. But this father hides his son, and he turns this concentration camp into a game. And he tells his son, every day that you hide in the barracks and don't let people catch you, we get a point. First team to 1,000 points gets a tank. And the little boy, he wants a tank. And this whole movie is about this father hiding the atrocities, hiding the pain, hiding the suffering from what's really going on with this, in, during this Holocaust. At the end of the movie, the dad dies so that his son can live. And I'm in this room with like 12 other dudes, and I'm like, sawdust is in the air. I'm like, oh, my God. I need to use the restroom. Like, uncontrollably, I'm crying. Because the longing of my heart, I said, I want a, a dad like that. That won't just give me a tank, but he'll give me everything. And you were created to get that. And when Jesus came, listen, he doesn't want to just give you a car and a house. He wants to give you the love of a father. And the reason why you have so many relationship problems, why Pablo and Paul are fighting all the time, is they're looking for fulfillment in the other person that only God can give them. And you don't even realize it, you have an orphan spirit. That's why Jesus says this in John chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. Someone say orphans. Ten times in the Bible, God says, I want to adopt you. Three times in the New Testament. Why? Because you say this, orphans talk like this. Orphans say things like, I don't measure up, I'm not good looking enough, nobody loves me, I discount myself, no one wants me, and you end up going into a relationship with whoever's available, not what's best for you. Because you don't see value. I remember the very first time I read the Gospels, it was shocking to me because I didn't realize I had an orphan spirit. I read the It's this account where Jesus is getting baptized. He goes underneath the water. He comes up, and the heavens open up. And what does God say? This is my son with who I'm well. You know. And I remember reading that going, oh, this dude hasn't done anything. No one's been healed. No one's been resurrected. Why are you proud of him when he's done nothing? Because an orphan spirit has to earn praise. And maybe some of you, maybe it's not as obvious with you. You long for someone to say those things to you. And if you are in Christ, let me tell you, everything the Father said to Jesus, he says to you. That he loves you. That he's pleased with you. That he longs to have a relationship with you. And the only way to heal that orphan spirit 
is to come to the Father. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one, tell me, no one, no one comes to the Father. Such an interesting choice of words. In the church, we always sing about songs about the Holy Spirit. We sing songs about Jesus. We neglect the Father. And yet, when the disciples saw Jesus praying one time, like, dude, you, your relationship with God is different. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to connect with, the, with God. And Jesus taught them to pray, our Father. Which means the whole point of relationship with God, the whole point of prayer, the whole point is not going through a checklist. It's not going to a certain place. It's not saying certain things. It's knowing that you're a child and God's your Father. I wrote it down like this. Maybe this will help some of you. The Son heals you of your sin, but the Father, no, I'm sorry, the Son forgives you of your sin, but the Father heals you of your sin. Jesus died on a cross for us, and I'm grateful. Anybody grateful for Jesus this morning? But the point of Jesus dying was to bring the children of God back to their Father. And the reason why some of you have bitterness in your heart, the reason why you have conflict in your relationships is you have a father wound. And a relationship won't fix it. A car won't fix it. A career won't fix it. Money in the bank won't fix it. The only way to fix a father wound is to come to your heavenly father. Come to your heavenly father. Second reason why we're bitter. It's not the first one, second one. Heartache. Someone say heartache. Heartache is different than heart, heartbreak. I think it should say heartbreak. I think I, think I copied it wrong. Heart, heart, this one is heartbreak. Heartbreak is different than heartache in that this. What's the, I copied and pasted wrong. I'm sorry. Something that happens or something is taken from me. So I got some confusion. Let me, let me clarify. Heartache is I'm longing for something I never got. Heartbreak is I never got that thing. Or I got it and it was taken from me. You get into a relationship, and the relationship ends. You have a child, and then have a miscarriage. You get the job, but then you lose it. And we become bitter. And this is what happens in the story of Ruth. All three women have a child, or have a, have a husband. It's the love of their life. And all three women experience heartache. Orpah, she walks away from God after she experienced heartbreak. Naomi, she becomes bitter. Ruth gives her pain to God. I wrote down like this. I'm hoping this helps some of you. God can heal your broken heart, but you need to give him all the pieces. You need to give him the pieces. I know we have songs. We sing, oh, my achy, breaky heart. And we think a relationship will fix it. No, no, no. Only Jesus can. And what's crazy to me, I, I, I realize this, that did you know the word heartbreak? Someone say Heartbreak. The very first time it shows up in human history, in, in actually human literature, is in the Bible. God invented this word a thousand years before anyone ever mentioned this word in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms. God says this at 1000 BC. It shows up in Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Someone say brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. So let me, again, remind you, when you have heartache, you're longing for something, you want your father's affirmation, you want him to say, I love you, I'm proud of you, heartbreak is different. You're in a relationship, you have something, and it's taken from you, and it, God says, in that moment, 
when your heart is broken, I come and heal. Watch what it says in Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. Someone say brokenhearted. And he binds. What an interesting choice of words. And he binds up their wounds. The word binds is the same word that we would put like on a cast. Like when I break my arm, doctors will restrict my arm from moving. They'll put a a cast on to, to limit the use. Listen, when your heart breaks, God puts a cast spiritually on your heart to restrict it from use because he's trying to bring healing. So what do I do when, well, my heart's broken. Pastor Ali, what do I do when, when I experience a divorce, when I experience a miscarriage, when my girlfriend breaks up with me, when I lose my, a loved one? What do I do with my broken heart? Three things this morning. I want to make this super practical. Number one, stop denying the pain. See this all the time, this machismo. How you doing? I'm good. But weren't you in a relationship for like three years? Didn't she break up with you? I'm good though, bro. I'm good. And it's like hilarious because we all see you. You're dying on the inside. And you think because your heart is broken and we don't see it, it's, it's like bitterness. Everyone sees it but you. Imagine for a moment my arm was broken. I'm like, hi, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> Pastor Ali, I think your arm's broken. No, bro. It's good. I'm, I'm fine. And because we think it's external, we can't hide it, but our heart being internal, we can hide it. Everyone sees it. It's, it blows my mind. I read this article that the psychologists figured out that when you experience heartache, when you experience heartbreak, a loved one dies, you experience a divorce, a breakup, your bae leaves you, uh, your wife cheats, any massive loss, a loved one dying, they measured brain activity. Check this out. Your brain activity is the same as a drug addict in withdrawal. Think about that for a moment. The pain of, oh my God, I need, oh, I need, I, I need that hit. We would never associate those two people together. It's the same pain though, which is why you need to stop denying the pain. You're not weak by saying, I'm hurting. You're not less than by saying, man, it broke my heart. When people say, how's the miscarriage? Oh, it's, everything's good. I'm, Blessed and highly favor the Lord, covered in the blood. Like, what the heck does that mean, bro? Be honest. I hear the same, I'm fine from everyone. Doesn't matter if their dad died or they got a promotion. I'm good. Why aren't you honest? It's okay to not be okay. The worst thing you could do is try to medicate yourself. Number one, stop denying the pain. Number two, stop defying your, deifying your partner. This one's hilarious to me. Because I see it show up in work, we'll, we'll be at a job and we'll complain to our spouse, our friends. We'll talk about it for months before we quit. And then we'll go to the new job like, oh my gosh, that last job was so much better. And we're like, bro, shut up. That was awful. Yeah, every time we hung out, you complained about that job. And you deify, you glorify the past. We do that with relationships, by the way. That's why it's like 2 a.m. We're like, oh my God, girl, how you doing? We go on their Instagram we... We, we stalk them. We learned this last week. It's called ghosting, zombieing, right? We, we, we left, and then we come back. Why do we do that? Because we deify the past. We deify, we remember them better than it really was. It's like, Pastor Al, you don't understand. Oh, my God. We went to the boardwalk, and, like, he held my hand, and, like, he gave me a flower. It was amazing. Oh. But he cussed at you the whole drive home, girl. 
<laughs> did, you, did you forget that he didn't talk to you for two weeks? You forget that part? And we deify our partners and we remember them better than they really are. They're per se the only way to combat this. Super practical again. You got to make a list of all the reasons they were cute, but they're not good for you. She's cute, but she's the devil. <laughs> she's got a booty, but she's a Lakers fan. Oh. I, I'm, I, this is my trauma coming out, okay? <laughs> stop denying the pain. Stop deifying your partner. And number three, stop defying the process. Can I confess some sin this morning? Some stupidity. I got a mic. I got to do it anyways. Uh, when I was in college, I broke my, my left arm for the very first time. It was awful. I, I was getting like a minor in intramural sports. I was playing sports all the time. It was like we'd hike on Saturdays. We'd go to the gym. I was like every 20-year-old super active. That's why we eat McDonald's all day long and not gain anything because we're playing sports all day long, right? But then I break my wrist, and the doctor's like, you can't do anything for six weeks. And my brain heard three weeks. So I didn't go to the gym to, like, lift weights, but I was getting anxious, and I just thought, you know what? I'll just, like, go on a treadmill, just run a few miles. Running up on the treadmill is like dipping your hand in water and then wrapping it. You ever, like, when you come out of the shower, your hands are all wrinkly? That was happening in the cast. My hand was white and all crinkly. And, I was, and you can ask my college roommates, I notoriously cut my cast off with a steak knife. After four weeks, I call my doctor. I'm like, I don't think this is, the cast is working. He's like, what do you mean it's not working? I'm like, well, it's off. It's not, my arm still hurts. He's like, you, did you cut your cast off? I'm like, yeah, four weeks ago, I felt good. And he, literally, I'm quoting him, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're an idiot. He was so upset with me, he put the cast all the way up to my bicep. He's like, try to cut this one off. That's what some of you look like when one relationship breaks and you don't let God heal your heart and you rebound into another one. There's a different rebound that God wants to tell you. This is my third Bible. The first one I had, I had for the first five years. I, I read it every day and it was paper. And the binding broke. So I had to send it in. And you know what they did? They didn't send me a new Bible. They rebound the one I had. It gave it a new spine, a new backbone, a new foundation. Some of you need a new foundation. Some of you get more connected to Jesus than you were before. Instead of going to another boy or another girl, you gotta be honest. Maybe I have a father wound. Maybe I have heartache. Maybe I'm longing for something that you can never give me. And let me be honest, maybe my heart broke in the last relationship and another person ain't gonna fix me and heal me. Only God can. Let me give you some practical steps. How you know you're ready for another relationship. Or honestly, maybe you had a miscarriage and you're ready to try again. Number one, super practical. You say, I don't need a relationship, but I want one. There's this, this I just have to have it. I, and your language changes. Oh, Jesus is my everything. He's the one that gives me contentment. He's the one that fulfills me. I'd like a relationship, but I don't need a man. I need Jesus. Number two, you can see their mistakes. You, you can see your mistakes and not just theirs. When you're bitter, everything that went wrong is their fault. When you have humility, you go, you know what? 
Ike was crazy just like they were. Number three, you can talk about the person without, with emotional control. What's your, not say drug of choice, but your emotion of choice. Some of you, your emotion of choice is angry. Some of you, you're a drama queen. Can you talk about that relationship with emotional maturity? Until you can't, you're not healed. Number four, you can celebrate other people's happiness. When someone else has a baby, do you go, praise God? Or you go, I'd be a better mom. Or you TMZ, oh my gosh, can you see who got with who? They're gonna break up. And everyone sees your bitterness except for you. Lastly, you look forward to the future. I love that Ruth, she's the only one in the story that handles her bitterness by saying, God, life didn't go the way I wanted. God, my husband died. But where you go, I'm gonna go. And where you lead me, God, wherever I want. And I love the story of Ruth because she just happens to work in this field and meets this dude named Boaz. Boaz is tall, dark, and handsome, not bitter. And they get married. And Boaz and Ruth have a kid named Obed. And then Obed has a kid named Jesse. And then Jesse has a kid named David. Think about that. The man after God's own heart, King David, came from a non-Christian, this pagan woman who was a widow, who took her father wound to God. Said, God, I give you my life. If I can speak to all the women in the room this morning, the best decision you can ever make in your life is not finding the perfect man, but you already have one in Jesus. And giving him your heart, letting him heal you, not just the heartache, but the heartbreak. And here's what I want to encourage you. I wrote down like this, bitterness is ugly. Forgiveness is beautiful. She could have got angry like Naomi. She could have said, how, how, how could you, God? I said, whatever you bring, God, I'm, I'm just happy to be alive. I want to end with this one last story. I love this. I told you to underline that word Mara in Exodus chapter 15. This is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. It's Exodus 15. Moses has just led not 20 people, 1.5 million people across the Red Sea. It's the greatest miracle, I think, in the Old Testament. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Someone say, no water. When they came to Mara, someone say, Mara. There's that word again. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Now you know why Naomi named herself Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log. Someone say a log. And he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. Pastor Ali, what do I do when I have heartache? You remember that 2,000 years ago, God... Jesus, who was eternally God, entered human history. And the perfect, infinite God became finite. There are many babies that are born and one day become a king. Jesus is the only king that chose to come as a baby. And he came into human history not to give us a book, not so we can come up to an ugly building on Sundays and sing karaoke. 
came to die for our sin. And then listen, he died on a log. The same way that they threw a log in this water to take bitterness and make it sweet, Jesus came and he dived into our sin. He dived into our heartache. He died into our pain and he took all of it upon himself and he died so that you can get a second chance. So that me and you, like Ruth, can be given another chance at life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's a bunch of people I want to pray for this, this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel this tug on your heart of heartache, heartache, this longing to have a relationship with your Father in heaven. Now you see it. See why you've been longing for a girlfriend, you've been longing for a boyfriend, and, and really you've been longing for this affirmation from your Father. God wants to speak these words to you. You are my son and my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. I love you. I'm pleased with you. You don't need to do anything to earn my love. I love you right now. I love you right now. Come home. Let me heal you. There are others of you in this room, it's, it's not a father wound that you have, it's heartbreak. It's the loss of someone. A relationship has ended or never formed. Maybe it's the loss of a child and you're afraid of trying again. God wants to heal that wound. He wants to take the bitterness of the pain. And the same way that log was thrown in the water of bitterness and became sweet, God wants to take your pain and he wants to make it sweet. God, I pray for every person in this room who can hear the sound of my voice, that they have real pain, real suffering. Life didn't go the way that they wanted. Maybe a loved one died. Maybe a little one inside of them died. Maybe a relationship ended, God, and they are hurting. Pray that they give you their pain. They give you their bitterness. There's a third person in this room. Today's the day of your salvation. You never knew that God loves you, and he's the only terrific dad. And before you do anything, his words over you are, you're my son and daughter. I love you. I want you to come home. And he already made the way possible. He took all of your sin, all of your mistakes, all of your rebellion, and he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. The only thing you need to do is believe. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, and you want to start a relationship with the living God, I'm going to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up and embrace your heavenly Father. One, two, three. Just shoot your hand up if that's you. See your hand. See your hand. I see your hand. I want everyone to pray this with me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sin. Thank you that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And you bring me to the Father who heals me of my sin. Thank you for dying for my sin. I repent. I turn from my sin and I follow you. Like Ruth, I declare, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Be my God. I want to be your people. Can we give it up for the hands that went up?
Y'all can be stand. We'll continue our worship experience. I want to pray for our offering that every good and perfect gift is from above. Thank you, Jesus, that in the most unchurched region in the entire country, you are saving your lost kids. You are bringing them home. We are doing what you've called us to do, that we are preaching the gospel and we're doing it in a way that's life-giving and fun, God. I pray, Lord, that we would sing loud, that we would worship you, Jesus, from the depths of our heart, God, that you came for us, that you rescued us. And if you believe that, everybody said... Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon. Thank you.